welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thor, and I'm joined by... Tony. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? You picked that wow. just for the runs, didn't you? Just so you could kind of hit those, those notes. <laughs> so who was that? Seriously? Yeah, I didn't recognize that one. Whoa, wow. That surprises me, Thorne. Are you back that in the 50s again? The Beatles. Yeah, yeah we're going to get into one of the big secrets about Thorne. He is not a huge Beatles fan. Oh, no. Don't say it. A couple it. songs here and there, but I am not generally a huge Beatles fan. I'm oh, not, I'm wow. Not, not a Nirvana fan either. Uh, I'm not a really Nirvana fan either. I enjoyed what they did. Um, I enjoyed what they groundbreaking. Did for, for the scene, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was not really drawn to Nirvana overall, you know, which yeah. was definitely outside of my uh, peer group, especially being in music and punk rock and stuff, you know. So, so punk rock wasn't was, wasn't with uh, grunge. It, it no, no, seem... no, totally. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I was okay, like yeah, an outlier yeah. to that group still, you know. <laughs> I was just like, eh, you know. I always thought Dave Grohl was a uh, it was far superior a talent. Mm. April has done some great stuff since yeah. then. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly so, right. But let's let's connect the dots and bring the secrets back into why we're talking about it on today's podcast. And that is this comes from a listener question. What it comes down to is this. Do letting player characters keep secrets ruin your campaign? So just having a player character who knows one thing then that the rest of the characters don't know, is that a good thing or turn into a bad thing? Uh, we're going to hit some other stuff here, too. This all comes from a question from Jared. Jared, thanks again for sending another one in. Um, the, the question is this. Excuse me. It goes, it's, it's, it's a bit of a paragraph. It's a question. <laughs> How do you deal with a player or players having information the rest of the group doesn't know? Whether it's a personal role play type secret or something slightly more mechanical with like the secrets and Rhyme of the Frost, maybe. Backstory or campaign altering info. Do you allow them to conceal their secrets or attempt to expose them? What do secrets add to a game when they work? And what kind of damage can they do when they go wrong? Also, any horror stories we have uh, about secrets going wrong? And one one other question he asked that I find particularly interesting. Have players ever surprised you with a secret they hadn't told you about beforehand? And how did you deal with it? Um, my answer to that is probably ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. how far along we are in the campaign. oh i don't know I mean, oh, it's just like if, if we're in the, once we're into the campaign it's you know i have my character has a secret i didn't tell you about the emma like no you don't <laughs> if i don't know about it it don't exist <laughs> so guys yeah secrets in your campaign now i we have talked before about having one player who's like gaming on the side with you or um having one player who knows things the other players don't it can actually be good, but it can also have kind of main character syndrome, where that character finds it winds up feeling more like the main character of your game than others. So what do you guys think? Is it a good thing or bad thing? Is it going to be campaign ruining to let player characters keep secrets from the rest of the party? And how does that play out for you? Can it be campaign ruining? Unfortunately, absolutely. But it really depends what we're talking about. Does this character have a secret 
involving their backstory, perhaps. That's one thing. Mm. Or they're planning to kill all of their friends. See, there's a really big, wide, you know, we're throwing the big net out on this one here. we got to kind of define what we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, secrets, when done well, are doing three things. One, the secret is going to enhance their backstory. Uh, two, the secret is going to push the main story forward in some way or is going to play into the main story in the plot. Or the secret is going to nurture some role play where it's just kind of flavor text. Um, but, yeah, Thorin, I, I will say, too, I think that the main character syndrome is a good point. But you have like two axes on that. You can go one side, which becomes main, main character syndrome. And then the other side of that axis is like plot hole uh, formation. You know, it's like the black <laughs> hole formation of a plot where like we've had this and we're probably going to go into it. But in the Woodstock game is a great example. Two different times, one where the player maybe wasn't able to share because maybe they don't know they don't want to do a lot of role playing or speaking or talking or the other where the character doesn't maybe know that they're supposed to share that. And we've had this specifically now in where it's the plot hole formation in the Woodstock game twice where the player you had one where a player had secret in the backstory that they weren't necessarily able to share because maybe they're not really wanting to role play a lot or speak or, or things like that. They don't want to engage in that way. And that's fine. But that can create some big plot holes or that the player doesn't even necessarily know that they're supposed to share that, that that's something beyond just, or they didn't catch that that's something that, oh, that's probably important for the story to move forward and, and the other players to know. You know, I've talked a lot on the podcast about how I try to avoid kind of one-on-one -on -one role play, both because I don't have the time for it. And I also feel like you wind up in a situation where unless you can give everyone some one-on-one -on -one role play, it winds up being an uneven game and cause problems, right? And secrets kind of fall a little bit in that territory but at the same time, I have absolutely used secrets in my games on multiple occasions. Like you said, the Woodstock Wanderers game, I had a uh, one character who came in who I gave a lot of secrets about the world that the players were in that the other players didn't maybe know. And I was expecting them to come in and kind of explain that. And 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 they didn't uh, because and, and perhaps like, yeah, perhaps they weren't another role player or whatever. But that was one case where, like, I was giving a player a secret, hoping they would share it. And they didn't. And then you go back to the campaign to the last uh, to the last to the last fourth edition campaign we did, where Tony's character did indeed get turned into a pile of bugs, and that was a situation where he wound up wound up in a whole secret side of the game sort of. But I gave I other players, yeah, yeah, sort of. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I got to use the word spaghettification at one point. Uh, <laughs> he was really advanced users. He became yes. Will the Wise before <laughs> Will the Wise was a character. <laughs> And that was a situation where, you know, he didn't start off with a secret, but over time he was a wizard who was interested in secret arcane knowledge. So I started leading him down a Lovecraftian path of finding books he probably shouldn't be reading. And pretty quickly became clear the rest of the party did not like this. So that continued in secret um, with some, you know, hilarity ensuing in the end from mm -hmm. his from him almost getting killed one on one with a with a solo monster to turning to getting captured by uh, by. Did Vecna capture you or was that something? That Vecna captured me. That's right. Yeah. But he got out and then he, getting out, he was turned into basically a larval mage. Uh, and he played yeah, the rest Cthulhu of the game. Yeah, Cthulhu posted bail. 
Yeah, it wasn't Cthulhu, actually. That was, I believe, Yaxothoth. It was Azathoth. Um, was it Azathoth? Did I have Azathoth? I think so. He should, it shouldn't be Azathoth, but it might have been. I might not have understood the, that, that Azathoth is actually supposed to be dreaming. They say perhaps the the king in yellow is Azathoth experiencing his dream. Um, mm. But that gets, okay, we're deep in, we're deep in Lovecraft mythos. And, uh. and not everyone agrees that's what's going on there. Um, but yeah, so basically to escape from Vecna's prison, he was turned, you know, he was taken in by the great old ones and turned into a pile of bugs that could still reform and had altered self at will and all this other good stuff that let him continue, continue to play as normal with the secret that he was actually a, an undead pile of bugs in service of the great old ones. And that worked out. Actually, that one worked out really well. I don't think it ruined the game. And I gave other players the chance to kind of get involved in the same way and have those kinds of secrets, and they didn't want to. Like, one of the guys at one point wanted to come back in after his character died as a fiend pack warlock. I'm like, great, you have a deal with the devil. And immediately, you wanted, you didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> you just wanted to play the cards. Oh, that was that game. Okay. Yeah, fourth edition was almost like a card game. He just wanted to play the cards, build his deck, and not get involved in any, any sticky role play. So in a situation like that, you have one player who wants to do something cool and the other players who kind of just want to react to it. I don't know. That worked out okay. So I would say, what did we learn from that? In the beginning, we kept everything on the table. Everything was in game. Even though it wasn't even really up to anything special. I was researching the old, powerful tomes, mysterious ones, and they got their underwear tied knots. And I, you know, I was getting followed around everywhere, even if they had would have had no knowledge about that. Like I'm in a library and they're peeking in the window watching me with a spyglass. So the, certain players can't handle this out of game knowledge. So the way you handled it was we did some stuff out of game, but it's not like we did some expansive role play like Dave and I yeah. did. You're just like, hey, bro, this is what happened to you. And I'm like, OK. And they didn't know about it. And ironically, the the elephant in the room, they didn't pick up on. Like your wizards are dead, guys. Nope, no idea. <laughs> well, I would actually, Tony, I would actually say that I think that there's two separate things there that we're talking about. One, which goes back to your uh, one of your more recent articles, was when and what you guys talked about on Dragon Talk, which kind of spurred this question, was the idea of sessions outside of the game. Now that came from when Hawk, because you were running a one shot in our Curse of Strahd campaign for when. The party was the Heroes of the Mist were going to be going to this white tower uh, to to obtain the ritual in Amber that they needed to do for Vampyr for the MacGuffin. Right. Um, And that was going to have me bring Roderick in to play with the party, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. That was where Hawk went off on his own to kind of get information about his path and. And where was he heading and, and the spirit of Kavan and what was this thing and Yester Hill and all that? That wasn't as much secret because that's going to be completely open to the party with whatever you decide to um, reveal. Where something like your thing or um, like more recently, Gadanathwa walking around with Ojin to see the world. Like, that was a point where that wasn't understood, I think, as a secret, so it never got communicated in that way. Um, I would also say it's different with a secret in gameplay like I was doing with Phineas, with Thorin's character in the Curse of Strahd campaign early, where I was using him because he was the charismatic player. Uh, Strahd was going to be reaching out to someone to tempt them first, to try to say, hey... 
come on, you can, you don't worry about all this other stuff. You can grab, grab your own power. You can become your own patron. You can, you know, have a barony, whatever it might be. That was completely meant to be fully secret to one player up until the point it didn't become that, you know? So I think that there, there are two different things. You can absolutely do role play, narrative development and stuff. That's not secret with a player outside of game uh, that they don't necessarily know about. And then there's actual secrets that you're trying to just play with that player until the time when you have to reveal it because they, either they did or because you have to reveal that they have been keeping the secret, which if Phineas had never said anything, I would have brought up at the dinner with the devil. But I did say things. I told the rest of the, I think I told him about it at the dinner, though. Didn't I at the dinner just start yeah, teasing him about it? It finally did come up, but because you were never being tempted by it, even from the very get-go, I knew that that was not a path. So I could keep it as a secret to try to play a card to try to get some uh, you know, subterfuge within the party itself. But it didn't work because, you know, it's Strahd, right? So they're like, yeah, we don't fucking See, believe that, you, dude. That, that's kind of an obstacle you ran into. So they just kind of stand this on its head. Like, what if we were doing Ravenloft and it wasn't Strahd and it was Duke Grundar and assume that Thorne doesn't have 20 years of candidate experience with all these names? You know, it's like Which this. actually don't you know, because the, Strahd is the only name I recognize. With that, in, but, even, but, but fair enough, Tone, in that the sense of like it's the, the module is literally called Curse of Strahd. So, you know, like you're the big bad, you know, and he's contacting you. Like, let's say I had him do it through um which we brought up in the podcast before you had Vasily von Holtz is the character in the adventure itself. That's supposed to be Strahd's alter ego, but I changed it to Victor van Royen because I was unsure whether Tony as a player was going to know the name Vasily von Holtz at all. So I said, I need a whole different name, you know, so I know you would have got me on that. Okay. So, but that was, if we had gotten into that, that would have been something where maybe oh, well, let's partner up with this guy because he's not named Strahd, right? Or, you know, Count Orlock or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something terrible. This, hey, Vecna is calling me. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's different if it's something like Count Orlock or something, or Vecna is calling me. he's a me. charming fella. Yeah, like- Well, Vecna kind of will give you a hand and an eye. Yeah, but it gives it away in a way. So I think that that definitely could have played differently if Phineas was getting information from some other benefactor, let's say. Yeah, perhaps. Funny story I about mean, Vecna. Vecna and Vecna lives. He tries to coerce the party into killing off. Like he puts you in a situation. He's like, go ahead. If one of you kills off your friends, you can join me. And he keeps his word. He deifies you. Oh, boy. But your <laughs> friends are all dead. The game's over. But oh, you become a god. That's yes. some old school D&D, dude. That goes back to that last episode where I said it's that, like, Scheidenfreude. Like, it's just, it's a little bit of that, you know, fuck you kind of feel against your other players. <laughs> <laughs> that old school D&D. We're talking about a little bit, you know, like a yeah, little bit of, yeah. of happiness in the misfortune of others. I, I will say the challenge on tempting a party member. So this is, this is kind of a side. This is this is one kind of secret. There are other kind of secrets you can have in the game, and they all have a different kind of impact on the game. But when we're talking about this, like what I did with Tony in tempting him to to serve Vecna and then the Outer Gods, what I did with Ojin in tempting her just to 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 work with Gadanafwa and sacrifice to him, the and, and what you tried to do with Phineas as far as like co-opting him to come to Strahd's side, 
the trick there is you need to have a big enough carrot they want to do it. You know, now becoming a god, that's a pretty good carrot. Yeah, you know, people are going to go. But, like, that's why, like, Tony along the way found a lot of interesting books and got a lot of interesting powers because he was following this extra, this this other path, which I was slowly fishing him down until things got so bad he, he wished he could get out, uh, which, which which is what you need to do with that, right? That's that's how that game is played. You're, you're seeking knowledge man was not meant to know, and eventually you, you find out why man was not meant to know. With Ojin, it was the same thing. Like, and I knew that with God and Aqua. If anyone was going to start sacrificing souls to God and Aqua, it had to have a real payoff. Like, it had to have something they could see in the game that made them, that took them above the above where they were and above the other players because they're doing an extra thing. If there's no, if you can't raise up, you, then there's no temptation, right? Like, pointing Strahd never felt like it had an upside. Also, Phineas had really clear goals of his own. Like in a lot of I think, it, I think it was way more that than I think it was that you had an idea already that the your the entire impetus of your character to begin with was kind of I gotta take out Strahd. He is a my, highly patron. Yeah. Right. So, he's a very proactive character. He's so a character you can throw playing, in a game with no story and he'll make one. Yeah, I was playing with that in a way that was like my idea of secrets to push the story forward. It was something I could throw out there that isn't necessary that someone could play with if they wanted to, but it's going to help to push the story forward. It's not to necessarily increase their backstory or anything like that. <laughs> I will say I think that that's an interesting way in which, for instance, with was it Cassidus? I guess was the undead bugs yes. thing, right? That's Cassidus. Yes. Yes. So what's interesting there is that one of the things you want to be careful of. We've talked a lot, a lot is. You don't want to give too much mechanical advantage to certain characters with this type of thing because you can you can do it, but you can fall towards the, the side of main character syndrome, like Thorne was saying earlier. But what's interesting, because Cassius was a wizard and he's seeking out these books, in essence, he's seeking out spell books in a way. So you could easily show that wizards, that's how they become more powerful in the game is they find new spells, they find rituals, they find incantations. So, like, to pepper it along, you that that's a great way to allow mechanical advantage that doesn't seem completely like, dude, what the fuck? Like, did he just, like, buy you a cheeseburger or something? Is this why? Like, I'll bring you a Whopper next time if that's what it takes, you know? Here's the caveat on the mechanical advantage. You don't want to give one player a mechanical advantage over others unless you are trying to get everyone to get tempted into doing the thing they're doing. You know, it's very much like the Dark Powers and Ravenloft that way. If you don't take a deal, you don't take a deal. But if you take a deal, you get a mechanical advantage. You know, there has to be... It, so you don't do that just for the sake of doing it. You do it because you want the other party members to see there really is something here. Otherwise, you have a situation, which we actually had in Woodstock, where several of the players are like, no, this is bullshit. Oh, this isn't true. You believe the lie. Like, they're talking to NPCs and other uh, who who are who have joined the Malbion, and their take is this is all a lie. He's deceived you, and I had to show everyone that there was no lie. You know, it's no. If you did this, you really did get more powerful. You, you got significantly more powerful. So that's kind of the thing. If you can, I think it's okay to break that mechanical balance if the whole point is, hey, you guys can all get this too, and then you really put the good characters in an interesting position. Do they do it or do they stay pure? And that's that to me is when you get interesting role playing like we had in Curse of Strahd around the uh, around the Amber Temple. 
because the characters who were good had problems with it and they had to go redeem themselves. And the characters who aren't, like Phineas, haven't yet. And we'll see what kind of trouble that causes down the road. Yeah, and as we've said, too, that entire scenario not see play. We've said this many times. I did not see it playing out the way it did, where everybody took a deal. And then the two most, you know, goody, two-shoes, lawful characters turned literally evil. They lost their saves, and they were starting to lose yeah, themselves yeah. to the temptation, led to literally the next 10 levels of gameplay which is you know it, it's a perfect example of you know don't you know we it's a, a different episode but like don't over prepare because you have no idea how they're going to change that story you know? <laughs> so one time where i surprised my dm is when we killed off another character a player character in game and he did not see it coming the player didn't see it coming the dm didn't see it coming because another player and I discussed this outside of game and said, this is happening. You assassinated one of your do. party members. Yes. Wow. What What on earth could have led to that? Wow. Eve home party. This is how this goes, man. When you're playing, when I you say we're playing an evil party and I say I am playing a chaotic evil character or in Palladium, uh, I'm playing a diabolical character. This is the kind of shit that goes down. People are like, what's wrong with an evil game? Nothing. But just understand how, you know, how the bounce oh, may land. Well, that's, that's fair. I mean, because there's a reason that, you know, the Legion of Doom could never quite take packs to the Justice League because they were always infighting, right? Or like, you true, know, the Batman's rogues gallery. The Joker and the Penguin could work together for like a time until they couldn't because they're fucking evil, right? Although, to be fair, well, Batman can barely work together with other, with other characters. Well, that's either, true, too. So. <laughs> <It's also> true. <laughs> unless, unless he finds an orphan of a young age and takes him as his ward. That's the only time it works. <laughs> Completely but different. But he can play daddy. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, so what is the DM supposed to do in that situation? Well, I mean, if the player has a secret or the player is trying to plot against the entire party, in my opinion, then you kind of have to let that ride. And it's not your job to disprove that what they're doing, the players have to, well, they have to have fair opportunities to, but you can't be like, hey, like like one time, I've said this before in the podcast, one of the players was stealing from the party for literally levels. I don't mean like yeah. two, I mean like nine. Until one of the NPCs, I had to, and he's like, guys, he's stealing from here. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, really. But like the NPC, who's not even a genius, he's like, you sold this you sold like a pile of, you sold a pile of bricks for like $32. Like that's not how money works in this world. Are, are yeah. you from Mars? <laughs> like how come you can figure this out? So in my opinion that, and I remember that game, that was, uh, that was my first game I played with you guys. And it was a large, I don't know if you call it entirely an evil party, but you know, certainly leaning more evil than good party. And several characters had, had secret connections to other factions, which came to a head. Mm -hmm when a character was assassinated and actually came to a head several times. So Tony, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Cause that felt like a game that had more secrets than most. Did that work out in your opinion or did that backfire in your opinion? Well, let's look at how it ended to answer that question. Everybody spent the entirety of the campaign, these villains working together, air quotes. There were some infighting. Some people got killed off. They came back as different characters. They got it together. They're like, okay, seriously, we're going to do this guys. 
they scoured the land. They found the regalia of evil might, the crown, the orb, and the scepter. They used that to open up this barrier in the Anorak Desert, this vault, which took them into this uh, underground labyrinth where this lost dragon orb was. And you know what happened? They could have got that orb and could take control over all dragon kind. But instead, they killed each other off. They tripped at the finish line. Guys, we're like all level 1920. They're like four rooms from the end of this. Kill each other off. <laughs> to be fair, Thor, my character, did survive that game. I believe Scott he, survived it. Did Scott survive or did Scott die? Scott survived, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you had to abort the mission. You're like, well, three quarters of the party's dead. Cool. Um, what was the secret that caused that? Uh, so the mage in this party, it's always the wizard, was ripping everybody off for levels and levels and levels. And after they got past that, he was making all these deals with all these other entities. And the hilarious part of this, and I think I have mentioned this as a podcast, at the end of this, once he attained this power, he really truly, and I can say this DM, intended to cut everybody in. But they were so butthurt and mistrusting and jealous of each other's power, it never got to happen. So, so in this one, you, you don't feel like the secret really destroyed things. It was more the way that everyone else reacted to it. Well, I mean, let's just say we could safely say there was a very powerful lack of transparency in that game. Yes, <laughs> I could have made one of those boards with ribbon and plotted out who wants to kill who in the party and whose faction is aligned with who and who they're trying to. If you're into that kind of intrigue, that's great. But at one point that has to come to a head and it may not be pretty. If I remember correctly, the one character not only killed the, the character who was stealing from everyone else, but turned into a blue dragon, breath weaponed him into uh, particles, and then stomped his particles into the mud so he could never be resurrected again. No, no, the wizard was already dead. He had died. Somebody else had planned to take this character out, Garrett, because he was aligned with that wizard. They were trying to clean up the loose ends. And Garrett was quietly accumulating power on his own in mass, way beyond anybody realized, for 20 levels of the campaign, because he was a very unassuming character, and that he broke his foot off in those characters' asses is what happened. <laughs> How was he accumulating power? Did you have, like, a lot of temptation mechanics in there, too? I will say, in this game, I played a barbarian who was not privy to any of this. So you want to talk about main character syndrome, it did happen a little bit here. Well, I mean, you know, it depends. We're talking about, like, you know... This is a time where we played literally four days a week. And it was like, you hear, we're playing. Like, main game Sunday, but there were side games and these games and those games, and we didn't have, like, the constraints. Like, when Dave and I had that whole, okay, so this is story, what we're doing. Like, that is the boundary. We got story, we're moving character back forward. We can dig out the details, add depth to the character. That's the purpose of this, not to in- increase your you know, your stat block and what have you. That was not what was happening here. I'm like, it's all on the table. Go ahead, go kill some shit. If you die, you die. But, you know, the camera's rolling. It was different. It was a different situation. I wouldn't do that now. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's part of the thing, right? You, we tend to do more of these things more kind of like newer to the game and newer to DMing. Then over time, you start to be like, I well, mean, maybe that was more trouble than it was worth. You know, we, we, all, we all make mistakes in game. Like, for example, I can't seem to remember over channel only functions on spells level five and lower. I really have to remember that. 
Well, I think, you know, as we say with almost everything, that really depends on the type of group you have. But when you have secrets that are going to directly affect other players, that's where I think it can get iffy. That's where you would fall into some possible issues because secrets like otherwise secrets that are just going to help to to make the character a little more deep, a little more interesting, complex things that enhance their backstory or take their backstory and place it into the main plot in some way. Those are great ways to use those secrets, secrets where it's specifically a kind of almost pitting the party against each other. You're, you could easily run into problems with that. You know, you could also, it could be a really great game too. If the party is cool with that, like if they're into a very, like, let's say game of Thrones type scenario where everyone is trying to kill everyone else for power, then let's do this. But realize that it could easily, they might even say that they're cool with that, but the way it comes out, might be problematic, as Tony was just explaining, too, because it might come out at the very completion of the campaign, and now it feels almost wasted, in a way, you know? <laughs> but for in terms of secrets to enhance the backstories or to nurture roleplay, I love them. Especially, he specifically re- references Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, because that's a mechanic they use in the adventure, which, as I've said, I started with the all-girl group, who the you know three quarters of them were brand new to D and D of any kind, role playing games, anything, uh, and I decided to take them through Rhyme of the Frostbane, you know, live and learn. But one of the main mechanics of that is secrets, where I literally had them pull out of like a deck, and it gives you different secrets. You might be a you might be resurrected from some other form. You might be on the run. Uh, because people are after you because you wrote some kind of tell-all book. You might be uh, the bastard uh, child of one of the kings of Neverwinter or something. There's like 20 of them, and I like them because they're really cool to give the player something to carry with them. But also what I found was it was easy ways for me to go, oh, this is how I can put this into the story to get them towards quests, to get them towards moving the plot forward in some way you know more more hooks more adventure hooks plot hooks that's interesting though so they with with all those kind of plot hooks and secrets uh the game that game has not well i guess they want to go a different direction right it's a little too dark and a little too dark and cold no, that, that's what's funny it's not that as much it was more that we started with like i think five five or six people who wanted to play and we realized one came in later on and we kind of realized there was like a group, a core group of like three or four that really wanted to play, were super into the game. The other ones were like, this is cool, but it wasn't like they were going to go out and buy the player's handbook. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I brought up the idea in what, when we got together for one of our um, sessions uh, earlier this month, I said, you know, we can put this, we can put a pin in this. The, the damned dames, as they call their group in there, they're still there. You know, we could go back to this at any point, you know, and find out what's happened with with the Dwargar and the, you know, the stealing of Shardlin fragments throughout Ten Towns, right? But I said, you know, with you guys really being into this, if I knew that played a more 
a different type of campaign. And they were kind of into it. So we kind of restarted a separate a separate line. But it's not like Frostman yeah. is forever gone. But yeah, yeah. Well, there's no problem either with doing that, which then, okay, we're just going to go with, you know, these characters are here who want to come back to them and we'll start a new campaign. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, but they're, all of their secrets served to for me to place things into specific areas to get them to move forward, you know, because it, it spoke to their backstory, their secret, you know. Now, you've had characters with a lot of secrets. And I was actually in the Storm King's Thunders game, in the Storm <laughs> King's Thunder game. Many of the characters came in with secrets, some of which were revealed, some of which weren't. I yes. mean, we still don't know what the deal, really, what the deal is with Roderick and his sister, um, like the rest of us. You know, you, we haven't gone into it. So is that like, you feel like that's a successful secret if it never really comes out? Right. Game no, it's, it's, on the a, player? it's a good point. It's a good point because two of my characters now, both Roderick and Beam, have pretty hefty secrets they're carrying around. And it doesn't necessarily get it doesn't get revealed in a way because I don't yeah. want to just shoehorn it in. And as I've said before, I give whoever's running the game, whether it's you or Tony or whoever, I give them a whole bunch of stuff. If they want to use it, that's awesome. I don't. I'm all for that, too. I don't expect someone to take my you know two page backstory. And yeah, I mean, I can give someone a two page backstory easily. But I don't expect them to say, okay, I have to use all of this in my game. You know, it's yeah. just for me a way to give the DM something if they want to play with it. Uh, but it gives me something to have the character at least to start an idea of this is where why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, why I'm adventuring. Yeah. And I would say even like uh, Phineas hasn't revealed his backstory, although I don't know if he will. He's revealed you guys have seen quite a bit of what's behind him as far as you've met his patron and stuff and we're on a mission for him. So yeah. you've seen the revealable part, but there is a star secrets in Phineas's background, which aren't probably going to come out because he's like, he wouldn't want to talk about them character wise. It does seem like yeah, the background secrets don't always make an appearance, right? But they can still be worthwhile because they drive your role playing. Forward. Yeah. And they, and they don't have to necessarily make that reveal because you never know where the character is going to go. You know, but at least it's there in case something needs to happen. But in terms of Phineas, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's not something he would talk about other than the things that have already kind of been revealed. Yeah. Which have already turned out to be not the greatest things in the whole world to the rest of the party to begin with, you know, in terms of the gentleman and stuff like that, you know. Oh, he's he's a great party. (laughs) He's a great character. You do a good job of him. He's a great. He makes things more interesting. He does. Absolutely. and we're going to make him king. He's my own little chaos engine, you know? <laughs> you have to make a case for that at the, at the moment of. But uh, I, I think uh, Felix had a much heavier secret in, in terms of backstory, which I would have taken yeah. that one all the way mm. to the campaign. And just as a refresher, about, Felix was Tony's character in the Marvel superheroes game. So that character was this plucky, very positive. He, I was channeling my Peter Parker. I'm like, hey, guys, what are we doing? And I love that character. But he was preposterously powerful. Like, really, like, take the balance and throw it out the freaking window, because that's what Marvel did with that. I'm like, what, I get two column shift ranks to all my ability scores because of my heritage? Great. Seems fair to me. But that was I thought that was so ridiculous. I kept that under my hat for as literally long as I could until the DM leaked it out. And I'm like, well, 
F. It's it's here. Here it here it is. Yes. Uh, no, well, I'm not. We here, were but I'm actually a reincarnated deity. Oops. Well, you're a reincarnated Titan from Greek mythology, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we we showed up on Mount Olympus, so that would seem to be a time to reveal that. I actually thought the reveal was a was a good moment and played really well in that. Game. It was revealed much sooner than that, though. Like that was when his his cousin came to F with him. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's true. That's it was true. during our "They Live" uh, episode, in essence, that I think it came out. <laughs> but yeah, that's another thing too. If you do have this secret that you've been playing with your character, if you're the player and you've been playing with, or if the DM is playing with secrets with them, how that reveal happens, you can really, you can make it like a, you know, the sixth sense M Night Shyamalan level, or you can make it like M Night Shyamalan in like one of his shit movies, you know, like it's not always <laughs> like you have to, like if it builds up to a point, you, you, you are now kind of a uh, uh, bent on having to reveal it well to, you know, give it its, its proper due. And that can be tough sometimes. It hey, can't be I like the village. stuff. The, oh, the village was great. The village was a great one. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was just waiting in that campaign. Like I was like, Hey Felix, why are you so strong? Nobody ever said that. Like that, that never. Like I no. decapitated the king of the frost giants. I mean, <laughs> but we wouldn't have asked that because we were all kind of preposterously powerful in some fashion, you know, in in our well, own little way of being. I did notice that Felix was much stronger than the rest of us because basically, once Felix punched something, it pretty much died. Like I had, I had noticed that because I was trying hard to build like a character who could do the, with 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 really powerful weapons. But like it honestly, and maybe this is just me. My first thought is, wow, the DM let him make a really unbalanced character. DM, are you sure this is right? And I didn't, I didn't want to bring that up in that game because we were all, yeah, everyone was pretty preposterously powerful. But yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't necessarily question something like power level of the character because I'm thinking about that in a more meta way. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a failing on me as a player. But then again, you never asked either. Yeah, I mean, really, like, because like, actually, I tried to hold his power back for a while, and then like. The DM would roll out something crazy like this hundred foot tall symbiote monster, and my character would freak out and start hitting him hard. And next he's dead. And I'm like, ah, ah. <laughs> we did take out. We did. We did face Galactus in our very first game. Oh, we didn't fight Galactus, in a fashion. We, in a we, fashion. We beat the living crap out of the elders of the universe. Yeah, that that was <laughs> our, that was the packing. first uh, that was the first big uh, tell. That the party was just, yeah, just way overbalanced. So it it becomes a little hard to know if the big strong character is overpowered or not, because, you know, my magic guy was way overpowered, too, you know, so. Yeah, but no one had it as easy as Felix did. Like, all of us were like, okay, yeah, we're pretty powerful. But Felix would step up and, yeah, like, boom, his head is knocked off. Who's Luffy, the king of the storm giants? <laughs> He's probably a god, technically, too, by the way. <laughs> no, no, that that was uh, Yimmer. Well, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Primordial Frost, frost. <laughs> decapitated him. Yeah. None of us was taking him out in one shot. I don't care how often I shot him. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I did hold down the degree of how powerful he was because like I wanted the, like the, the, I don't want to shatter the campaign. <laughs> like really, they've been like. <laughs> So secrets can cause problems, but, you know, um, I think we've hit on both of them. Yeah, I think we've hit on on secrets that cause problems, secrets that didn't cause problems. And I think we've hit on secrets that kind of caused problems that in some ways made the game more interesting. Yeah, Hmm. absolutely. 
And I got to tell you, as much as we didn't complete your game, Tony, I don't know that that was a bad ending for that game. That kind of seemed like the ending that game was building to. Well, I really wanted you guys to, th- to at least get a, like a throwdown scenario with the Titans, Sarkoloth. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't expect you to, to, to beat him like that. Like he's like a CR 26. I do not see a bunch of level 10, 11 characters taking him down. In the book, he's supposed to be crushing the boat. You guys are fighting his tentacles. You save the Storm King. You know, he scares you really bad and you escape. That's basically how they suggested. I'm like, no, you guys deserve your due. Like, you deserve a battle. This guy's been pulling the strings. He's been jerking you around. He's been sending you squid bombs. You'd open up a letter. You get ink in the face. That was all me. That wasn't the book at all. Um, That was kind of inspired by Ultron from Final Fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I would say I uh, I very much like the way it turned out in the end, but I would have absolutely been okay with the idea that the real big bad, the real mastermind behind all this was something that we could not face at the time that we were, because that that harkens very much back to against the Giants, which Storm Kings, they it was kind of the, the update of that, right? Because the whole point is you realize that Lolf is really in control and has been pulling the strings. And then it goes down into the Queen of the Demon Web pits and all of that. And then, you have, to fight the, then you have to fight the Drow, which is a whole the whole nother level of bad, you know. So I, I would have been OK if it was a, an evil that we just, oh, we we can't beat this person right now. Like we took <laughs> care of this, but we have to go figure this other part out. I don't know. I think there's a one shot in the future where the where, where that party takes out the crack. <laughs> I think we can do it. You know what? I think we can do it. Well, I mean, hell, well, Roderick is 15th level at this point. So, you know, I, I'm up for it. <laughs> I, I feel like there's opportunities when Woodstock finishes, there could be a real collaborative montage. It could get really out of hand. <laughs> Uh, we could bring well, in some yeah. Cursed Strahd characters, some Woodstock. We could bring in some Storm King. Well, then we, yeah, like, then we really have a, an all-star cast that's pretty large to choose from, you know? All right, guys, we've been going on about this for a little bit. It's t- time for us to talk about some final thoughts. And do secrets ultimately help or hurt your game? Uh, they can add flavor to them, or they could absolutely tear them apart. And there are different ranges, like I said at the beginning, where you can have a secret with your backstory. Like, I honestly, I feel like Beam is so deep in uh, Woodstock Wanderer's character, he's unfathomable to me at this point. <laughs> like, he, and in the last game, he'll be like, Yes, I am the son of the Dragon Sultan. And I'll be like, Cool, the credits are rolling. So I will get to really enjoy that with you. Um, you know, or, you know, you're that character who's, who's selling the group out to Strahd. Cause Strahd through the hook, he's like, you can be my successor. And he, and you're like, yes, I can. This is exciting. And I'm going to murder all my friends. And the, the secret is all the other players can end up dead. The problem is there. You can't just let that out of the bag. That has to unfold organically. You don't want to make it too hard nor too easy, but they should have opportunities to see what is indeed going on. Yeah, well, uh, just to, to piggyback on that, Tony, because you did bring up a good point with Beam, is that it's like the credits will be rolling and I'll be like, and this is where I come from. But to tell you the truth, with that character. You're like the dragon Jesus. Oh, my God. That, but with that character, that's kind of the point, right, is that as deep as his backstory could be, it's supposed to not matter anymore because he was like reborn. You know, he was like he was chosen by Dawa and like he became a hermit and like he just walks the lands now. Like 
it's kind of supposed to be that very Miyagi kind of thing where like when you realize he's like a World War II vet and he had kids and all this stuff, you're like, oh, shit, like this guy was like a real person. You know, Beam is supposed to kind of be that person. He's like, you know, he's become enlightened and now he's out, you know, murdering monsters. But he's he's become enlightened. It's, he's become enlightened, so he abandoned his family and went on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> he's the D and D Buddha, you know. So, but what I will say is, uh, like I said in the beginning, you have several ways to use secrets. Secrets that can enhance the backstory, like in *Rime of the Frostman*, like I was talking about, where you can use it to kind of use for improving the character themselves, but also then for the second point, secrets to push the story forward. Because then you can use it to drop adventure hooks in and plot hooks and draw the characters into continuing whatever quest they're on. Or just secrets that help to nurture roleplay if you have those types of players where they like to talk amongst themselves. They want to talk about their backstory. They want to investigate those things over the period of the campaign. Those are the great ways to use secrets. Um, Those are the ways I've used them myself in my own games and as as a player as well so there you go yeah by and large some level of secrets really can help the game they can help it can also help individual players conceptualize their characters you know because background secrets something that the rest of the party doesn't know about many players like that kind of thing and they use it to fuel the role play in a way that they wouldn't if everything was on the table and you know so that's one good way to use secrets I really do feel like some of the one, some of the things that I've done in my campaigns where one player character kind of takes the temptation and the bait and winds up kind of getting powered up, but also involved in something the other characters wouldn't approve of. I've enjoyed that. I don't know. Uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Um, but, but I think that works really well, at least in the kind of stories I like to tell. You, know, you got to put a little pressure on the party. You got to put a little bit, a little bit of a uh, little bit of stress on those alignments and those, uh, those beliefs and see what they do. Um, so for me, those kinds of secrets work. The kind of secret that I tend to try to avoid are sometimes you'll have a secret where a player character knows something and they kind of lord it over the party. And that can be a little bit, you know, off-putting for the rest of the party. And of course, the kind of secret where, you know, player, where, where, where characters have, um, where they're, we're more invested in the game than other players because of their secret. Or, you know, they have a whole nother, whole nother angle on the game that puts them at odds with the rest of the party. Those kinds of secrets, it's it's okay if it's temptation-based and kind of everyone's a chance to do it. If it's just something in the backstory where one day you find out, hey, guys, I was a plant the whole time, now I'm killing you, that can be problematic. You know, you can't sow that much distrust that's, in the players. <laughs> Level 18, guys, guess what? I've been working for the big band this whole time, and you're dead. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> what great role play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had no idea. So yeah, oh, it's um, I mean, it's really the art of basically layering in extra detail to your story, extra things for players to get excited about, extra things for them to be invested in, without frustrating the rest of the party members. That's really it. You know, you want to secrets are great so long as everyone enjoyed the way they played out. They kind of suck if some people feel alienated, and that's the really, you know, and that's that's not a hard and fast rule. Yeah, that's that's that is really something you're playing by ears. Where DMing is more art than science. But I think overall, it's a good thing. You just got to watch out for the potential pitfalls. If your secrets go wrong and one of your players turns into a blue dragon, kills most of the rest of the party. Yeah, that too. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for coming by to talk about this one. Let's, uh, you know, be interested to see what kind of secrets come up in these in these upcoming games. Secret stuff. <laughs>
And thank you all for listening from home. This has been another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you like what you're hearing, please hit that five-star rating button in your podcast platform. And if you want to hear us talk about your questions, this question again came from a listener. It came from Jared. Jared, thanks again. If you want to hear us talk about your questions, go ahead and send them in to us. You can go to our website, threewisedms.com, and put it in the What's Your Problem field. You can go to, G- you can go to our Gmail uh, email, which is threewisedms at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Rackets, and all those places. And we're always looking for the opportunity to help DMs with the problems they're having. With their that's it for this week. See you next time on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.